This is the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast on the WVSA Digital Network. From the Sport Pens International Studios in Charleston, West Virginia, here's your host, Marcus Cole. Hey, welcome to the podcast. We have another great show for you. Before we welcome our guest, I want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share our program. Now, this helps us get the word out to others and let them know that we're providing valuable information designed for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents here on the WVSA Digital Network. With us back on the program again is Tom Belmaggio, Marshall Sports Medicine Institute. Tom, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. We appreciate you uh, being here. We know you are extremely busy this time of year, and uh, a lot of our uh, uh, athletes uh, now are in the early stages of the preseason, whether they be middle school, whether they be high school, or even college at this point. And we wanted to bring you back on to talk about some of the common issues, common problems that some of these athletes face during the early parts of their season where they're kind of getting everything going back, uh, back to playing, back to competing, and uh, I figured you'd be the perfect person to do that. So why don't we go ahead and dive right in. One thing I know that a lot of players have to deal with in the early part of the season are blisters. So why don't you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about um, basically how to prevent blisters and also if they get one, what kind of treatment should they be doing to those blisters? Yeah, so blisters is a very common injury for soccer players, especially in the beginning of the season. Uh, because they're, they're probably not used to wearing the cleats or they haven't broken those new cleats in that they got for the soccer season. So basically what it is, it's a friction-type injury, and that friction builds up on the skin and produces a blister, and sometimes it can be filled with fluid. Uh, basically what you want to do uh, is make a donut-type pad to go around the blister. So grab, you know, a foam pad that's probably about a quarter inch to eighth, probably eight, eighth inch thick, and you want to cut the middle part out. That way the blister fits in uh, that little donut hole of the pad. And then you can just simply tape it on, and they can go out and, and practice. If you want, you can cover it up also with a Band-Aid. Uh, some things we like to do to help dry it out, uh, hydrocortisone. Is a, is a good treatment option to help dry a blister out. Uh, a lot of people say don't pop it, and the reason why they say don't pop the fluid-filled sac is because uh, of infection risk. But typically those blisters will eventually pop, and you just got to make sure you clean the area effectively with soap and water, uh, keep it dry, and then after that you can, you can treat it with the, uh, with the uh, blister pad. Yeah, I think that's a big key is uh, keeping it clean and keeping it dry, I think, is a, is is extremely important uh, when it comes to those blisters. Now, let's go ahead and move on to another foot issue that our soccer players deal with. Um, maybe not necessarily athlete's foot, but I'm sure, I mean, I know that's a big problem, but other foot type issues, what should they be looking out for in, in taking care of that? Well, if you're, you're specifically talking about athlete's foot, uh and fungus of the foot, uh, known as tinea pedis, uh, tinea being fungus, pedis meaning the foot. Uh, so that fungal affection occurs when uh, there's a lot of sweat uh, involved and in, in they're not keeping their feet dry. And that's a good way to just prevent athlete's foot from happening is make sure you're 
wearing dry, clean socks. You're airing out your shoes after training. Uh, so that's one way to prevent it. But if you do get the infection, it's not very debilitating, but it may burn. It may itch. Uh, it'll be red, somewhat blistered-like. Uh, a good way to treat that is just with an over-counter antifungal. They have sprays, creams. I like the sprays a little bit better because they contain alcohol, and that alcohol in there will actually help dry it out a little bit quicker than the creams. Now, you can have extreme uh, debilitating uh, athlete's foot. And when you do that, you need to go see your primary care physician and they can put you on an antifungal over uh, uh, oral antifungal medication. Excellent. Let's go ahead and move on to another issue that our athletes face. Uh, Tom Belmaggio is on with us today, Marshall Sports Medicine Institute. Ankle sprains, very, very common during the preseason. Talk to us about that and how uh, they should be treating that. Yeah, so the most common ankle sprain that we'll see is, is what's called a lateral ankle sprain, and that's when the ankle actually rolls inwards. Uh, their foot may be pointed, and they get that inward-type uh, mechanism of the ankle. And usually we see those 70 80% of the time. And with that, they could have some swelling, uh, point tenderness, debilitating range of motion, uh, and that may keep them out from weeks or months, depending on the severity of the injury. So we grade those in three different categories, first degree, second degree, third degree sprains. If you're getting a second degree sprain, you probably need to get that checked out by a physician because you need to make sure uh, you get an x-ray to make sure nothing's fractured in that area because you can get fractures with a lateral ankle sprain. Uh, typical treatment what we like to do is compression elevation. Uh, I still like to use ice, uh, although some practitioners will say, you know, ice can, can actually make it worse. I, I don't believe in that. I, I continue to wear or use ice until uh, ice stops working. Um, they may need to be non-weight bearing. They may have to go on crutches. So it just depends on the severity. The other ankle sprain you can get is what they call a high ankle sprain. And the typical mechanism with that is what we call an eversion. So they're actually rolling their ankle uh, inwards. Um, and they could get point tenderness that's a little bit higher than a lateral ankle sprain. The point tenderness may be on the inside of the ankle as well. Uh, with a high ankle sprain, you definitely want to get an x-ray just to make sure there's no fracture. And those are a lot more debilitating than a lateral ankle sprain because if you think about what an athlete does uh, when they run, they're constantly moving their foot up and down. So anytime that, that toe or that ankle and foot go in that upward motion, you're actually opening up uh, that ankle joint space, which is uh, causing stress on those ligaments of the higher ankle. Um, you may have seen on TV, uh, there, there's a tight rope technique that they're, they're doing on uh, um, some of these football players. It was publicized a couple years ago because uh, – the Alabama quarterback had a high ankle sprain, and, and what they did, they stuck a, a tight rope, a, just a, um, a kind of like a seat belt right. uh, that went from one part of his ankle, from the outside part of his ankle to the inside, to kind of compress that area so it doesn't open up uh, when the athlete runs and, and cuts. Uh, and they found that to be effective. Now, we don't do that in all cases, but in severe cases, uh, yeah, our physicians will use that tight rope technique um, 
for that type of ankle sprain. doesn't mean there's necessarily a fracture, but the, all they're doing is trying to actually replace that ligament that got injured. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the icing uh, and talked a little bit about that because I've been seeing a lot of uh, uh, people talking about how that's not the thing to do anymore. But um, I, I kind of thought yeah. that I kind of thought that there there seemed. I mean, I get that there's different approaches to to different things, but and especially with different people. Uh, but I, yeah. I always thought rice was uh, the pretty good acronym. Uh, to use in those yeah. situations. So thank you for addressing that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's uh, one or two studies that's been published, and, and one study in particular was dealing with a, a quad strain, and they, they looked at these quad injuries, and they found out that, that ice may be counterproductive to the healing of that quad strain. Um, I think a lot more research needs to be done. I, I'm kind of old school. I still like the ice method of treatment. I think it's easy. It's a cheap treatment, and I think folks should continue to use it. It, it makes these injuries feel better. Um, it does get rid of the swelling, uh, as well as, you know, continued uh, treatment with the compression and elevation. Um, so, you know, we're, we're continuing to do that here at Sports Medicine Institute. And until research proves me wrong, which it could in the future, um, we're still going to use the rice method. Well, I don't even think it's it's proving you wrong. It's just there's a there's a change in thought, and and you know, and yeah, and, and, and when it comes to science, you know, science changes as as yeah, we absolutely. as we as we learn more things about it, and we do more research. and And the problem with science is just we need time. We need time on stuff to be able to research things as things develop, and be able to do research and and testing and and get the data and be able to process it and stuff like that. So I'm glad you uh, yeah. you addressed that. Definitely. And, and as you look at the field of sports medicine, I mean, we've grown uh, tremendously in the, in the past 20 years. Oh, yeah. You know, if you look, if just look at knee injuries and the way we used to treat them, uh, you know, 20 years ago, we're getting uh, ACLs back faster and faster as, as time goes along. We're learning a lot more about the body in regards to sports medicine. We're a lot more aggressive uh, in regards to uh, rehabbing athletes and treating athletes in order to try to get them back as fast and safely as possible. And it's certainly, and you're right about coming a long way uh, from, uh, you know, back in the late eighties when I played soccer and my coach told me when I had an injury, just rub some dirt on it. So I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> let's go ahead on to muscle strains. Uh, you know, you come up and maybe you got, you know, a strain in your quad, maybe in your calf. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the treatment on that. Yeah, so again, I think rice is probably the best type of treatment for these muscle strains. Uh, when athletes do get these strains, they have a tendency to to want to try to overstretch. And, and what I mean by that, it, you know, once they get these injuries, it gets tight. Um, it can be somewhat debilitating, but we we have athletes that think they need to stretch, stretch, stretch in order to get that injury better but what you can it can be counterproductive because you could be overstretching right so my, my thought on that is let's try to get to the injury and be proactive before a strain actually happens and and two things i like to tell my athletes number one stretch uh you know these hamstrings and quads and calves can be very debilitating so uh we want to stretch those uh, about 20 seconds at a time and there's, of course, there's different maneuvers for each uh, muscle in order to be stretched. But I like to tell them 20 sec- seconds at a time, uh, 
three times and do that three times a day. But we also can't forget about strengthening. We need proper strength in order for those muscles to work, in order to prevent these uh, type of uh, injuries. So, you know, flexibility, strength, if we keep up with that, we have a good chance of preventing these types of injuries. Yeah, you got to strengthen and train those muscles to take the pounding that they're going to during a season. Uh, I've, you know, experienced, especially at the collegiate level, uh, just seeing the number of injuries of, of athletes and, um, you know, you got, you got to take that strength and conditioning program seriously and, and uh, train your body to uh, be able to take the pounding that it's going to take. And, and just not in the preseason or offseason, but also during the season, trying to maintain that strength because your body will break down during the season. And if you lose strength, you're setting yourself up for injuries. Yeah. I see a lot of that in the uh, middle school and high school. Once the season comes, uh, strength and conditioning goes out the window and that just bewilders me. Yeah. <laughs> why absolutely. you, why, why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't be in the weight room at least one day a week to, to get stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, our coaches are, are trying to save the, kids in energy for the field and and i think they they're doing themselves a disservice by not spending 30 minutes in the weight room twice a week it doesn't take a whole lot of time but you know that ounce of prevention type saying you know you get in the weight room you do your flexibility exercises you do your strengthening exercises that'll go a long way in order to prevent these uh, muscle strains type injuries i agree a million percent uh, Tom Belmaggio is with us, the Marshall Sports Medicine Institute. Let's go on to another one. I, I don't think a lot of our athletes may even consider, uh, especially early part in the season. And I'll be honest with you, I'm you know when I'm out there in the soccer field during the early part of the season, I usually get a good sunburn uh, right out the gate. So talk to us a little bit about the the treatment of that when they go out there and, and may get a sunburn. Yeah, so you know when we talk about burns, you talk about you know first, second, third degree. Typically with sunburns, you're going to get a first, second degree uh, type burn. It can be somewhat debilitating, uh, especially if they start to blister. Um, they make over-counter creams that you can put on there. Uh, you can use aloe vera to help treat the pain. Uh, a soothe uh, or a bath will help soothe that type of pain as well. Um, so, you know, the, the biggest way to prevent that is, is uh, having a good quality sunscreen. Uh, 15 to 30 SPF is, is the best way to prevent it. Excellent advice. And uh, yeah, Tom- definitely you want to get the sweat proof uh, type sunscreen as well. Cause you know, we, we get out in this hot weather and these athletes, you know, sweat a lot. So that'll help keep that sunscreen on and plus reapplying every 15 to 20 minutes. Yep. Great advice. All right, Tom, as we kind of wrap things up here, we got one more thing that we want to talk about, uh, turf burns. Uh, if they train on turf, maybe they get a turf burn. Or if they're training on grass, you know, maybe get that nice little raspberry from a slide tackle. Uh, how do we treat those types of injuries? Well, I think the biggest thing with turf burns, they're susceptible to infection. If you think about a turf burn and you see these raspberry-type injuries, they don't bleed a whole lot. Well, blood is the way our body cleanses the skin. So with these turf burns, we got to make sure we clean them. And what I mean by cleaning them, you got to scrub them uh, with soapy water is, is probably the best way to do that. Uh, after you scrub it with soapy water, get all that grass and those turf petal, uh, pebbles out, uh, what I like to do is put some type of 
ointment and triple antibody cream on there and then cover it up because those tend to, to ooze a little bit. Uh, they can get pretty nasty and, and you want to make sure you cover it up one so you don't get any more dirt in there but or, or turf uh, in there. But two, when you're sleeping, you don't want to wake up and you don't have, you know, this, this oozing of a wound all of you and it, it can get pretty nasty. So the biggest thing is you got to get in there, scrub it and clean it. I actually tell my athletes, when you're scrubbing it in the shower, make sure it bleeds. That way we know, you know, it's getting clean and that, that blood is cleansing that, that potential infection out of there. Well, I learned something new. I didn't know that that was, that was the function, uh, uh, well, kind of a blood when you, when you bleed of cleansing the wound. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, those abrasions, uh, they, they typically, you know, I'm not sure you've seen a hundred of them, they typically don't bleed at all. So that's very important. Also, you got to watch for infection. So if you see any streaking going down the legs or arms, red streaking, that's that's a sign there could be an infection there. If it's hot, if it's pussing, uh, or what I mean hot, if it's warm to touch, and if it's pussing, uh, you need to see a primary care specialist as soon as possible. Yeah, those infections can be very debilitating and get very nasty very quickly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you get MRSA, you know, you could be in the hospital with IV antibiotics and, and potentially uh, lose limbs or even die. So, yeah, it's it's something to be concerned about. That's why I tell my athletes, scrub as hard as you can, scrub those injuries. Great advice. Tom Belmaggio from the Marshall Sports Medicine Institute. We appreciate you coming on the show today uh, to talk about, about some of the common problems that our athletes are facing here during the early part of the season. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys having me. It's uh, it's always fun to come on here and, and talk about injuries. It's, it's, you know, part of my life. It's what I do every day. And, and again, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. And thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember, make sure you like, subscribe, and share our program here on the WVSA Digital Network. Thank you for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every Thursday morning here on the WVSA Digital Network or find us on our social media platforms at WVSoccer. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.